Now, I don't know what your testimony is. I know some of you have shared, and I really applaud those who have found the courage to stand and say, this is what the Lord has done for me. And as uh, Pastor David was helping us reflect on the year last week, there was a bit of emotion uh, for me, not knowing whether I fit in any of the different categories, because on one hand, I feel this uh, thing about the year that is past, and on the other hand, the other. And I think the idea was to get us to appreciate the way the year perhaps has had this kind of mix of things. And Lord, and for, the, for the testimonies that have been given here, I feel that the Lord has been doing a special work. And though the ones that we bring forth and talk about are the, promise, uh, the victories that God has won for us, even the hard times, God in one way or the other, we must trust that he has used those testimonies, those unsaid testimonies of very difficult places you are in, perhaps still there and trusting God to get out, but his sustaining hand has been with you. That those are still testimonies of God's faithfulness because the Lord has kept us. But yes, the year has had a mix of emotions for me. On one hand, gratitude of the things that God has done for me and my family. Joyfulness because of his abiding presence and goodness over my life. Indeed, truly the song, the goodness of God has been mine this year. And for achievement and joy of seeing that the work of my hands bearing fruit, that has also been a great joy for me. Yet, on the other hand, there have been times of lament this past year. Times of painful tears, of losing loved ones, and of feeling like the Lord has not dealt kindly with us. There have been times of sadness, times of failure, and feeling like I have not achieved what the Lord what I set out to do this year, uh, last year. And unfortunately, or fortunately, it is yet another year. And someone posted on their memes this week, the year is almost 2% done. And you're wondering, the year is 2% done, what do you mean? And the pressure to set new goals, and the pressure to hit the ground running, you know, do something with your life. And, and uh, you go on, uh, online and you see these couples who are saying, uh, I think it was YouTube, what are you doing with your this cardboard or something? And I'm like, no, guys. Like, I just want to chill for a minute to just even get acquainted with this new year. And as we look at the goals for the new year, there can set in some discouragement of old goals that have to be brought into the list again. You know, Lord, that prayer I had last year, but one, then I, I brought it forward to this year. Now I am back again. Here I am. Sometimes it can be anxiety of wondering, will I fail again this coming year? Will it be a repeat of last year? Sometimes we have gratitude 
because at least we made it through. And your song this year has been, I made it through. I don't know how I did it, but hey, I made it through. Yet, with great hopefulness, we look forward sometimes because we have a clean slate. You know, the year is just beginning. It's a clean slate. Like for me, the version app uh, I had downloaded on my phone. By the end of last year, it was telling me, do you have how many remaining days? I wake up in the morning, I'm about to eat Christmas. It tells me, oh, Madelke, you need to work better on your goals. You have a number of remaining days. I can't remember whether they were 70 or 80. Uh, those of you who are feeling bad that you have 300 remaining days, please know that uh, we are somewhere together. But now I have a clean slate. It has just begun day one. I have a new plan. And there's so much potential and hopefulness. You see, time has no fixed markers. There is no sun that stands still on January 1st. To say your time is over. Let everybody know if you have not achieved your goals, you have failed. Or time has run out on you. If your prayer was not answered, just know that God has not uh, fulfilled his promise for you. And even though 365 Days is a good period for assessment. At least for us, it's small enough, yet big enough for us to do an assessment of our goals and our achievements for the year and to track our progress of how far we are. We must remember that to God. This is not a KPI for God. God does not have like a time frame for which we must gauge him on his faithfulness. You cannot come to God and say, I, God, you, you have failed me. Because how can 365 days lapse without you doing this? You say, I had given you a time frame, and that has elapsed. So I'm sorry, I cannot trust you anymore. In God's answering of our prayers, in keeping of his promises, we must not restrain him to our 365-day period of time. And I'm not saying that God has no regard for time. No, no, no. And it is not futile for you to use the 365 days to set your goals. Please go ahead and do that. He encourages us to do that, and he says, make your plans and make them known to him, and he will establish them for you. He is the God who ordained the four seasons. And he said that he put the four seasons so that as the world is revolving around the sun once, these four seasons will mark what a year is to us. And when he talks to us, he talks in matters of years. He talks about 70 years. He talks about uh, seven years. He talks about 400 years of slavery and 50 years of jubilee. 40 years of wanderings. God recognizes the time frame of years. But yes, even though he does, we must not rate him unfaithful because the year did not turn out the way you had hoped. Or because there are a few things that he did not tick out of your box. 
That said, I know many of you are eager to hear from the Lord this year. And you just start the year hoping, God, would you just speak a word? A word that is going to guide how the course of my year would look like. And some of us don't want the word in February. We'll be too disoriented by then. We want the word in January. Just the other day we were talking with Rev. Maura and he already has the word for his year. And I felt, what am I doing with my life? I'm wondering, God, Namibi, Nipatia, the word of my year. Because I want to know how exactly my life I should orient it. When I sit with my wife and we are making plans for the year, I want to know this is what the Lord would have me do. Indeed, a word for the year God has for us. And those of us who desire to align ourselves with God's working or experience the blessedness and the favor that comes with knowing what God desires for us this year, I think God has a word for us. And I think it is good for us to desire that from him. Now, I pray that God brings your word for the year somewhere before the year goes too far. But wait on that and trust him and say, God, I need direction. This is a fresh start for me. Give me direction. And may the Lord hear that prayer. Yet, even as we listen to God's word, 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 reminds us that when God's word comes to us, it does not come to us really as a new command. John himself says, I do not write you a new command. No, no, no. It's an old command. It's a command that has always been. You see, God's word is the enduring word. It does not change. Paul himself says, if someone comes to you and tells you, I have a new word from the Lord, any other gospel other than that which was preached last year to you, he says, let them be a cast. Because there is no new gospel. God's word is enduring, unchanging. It is constant. It's been over 2,000 years now and his word remains constant. Yet, John will say, I bring you a renewed word. A word anew, the old commandment made new because darkness is passing away and as it passes away and the true light shines, God is renewing his word for us. So pray for a renewed word for this year. That the Lord will rekindle and bring you a new word for, him, for your obedience this year. You see, God is in the business of shedding darkness, rolling back darkness, bringing in light. Today, as every other day of this year, I hope that his word will continue to become new, fresh for you as you, began, as you begin this year. Now, the big question then for me and you becomes, as we roll out into this new year, what is the big idea for you as a believer? I know maybe you've set your financial goals. I know maybe you've set your uh, goals for what you desire to achieve in business, in family. But you as a believer, let me ask, what's the big idea? What's that big idea? What's that overarching thing that guides your life? You know, this is an important question for us to ask ourselves. 
as we start the year and as we make these goals, if they are going to become anything, if there is anything that is going to be come of them, we must answer this question. What is the big idea for us as a believer? For you as a believing family? The clarity to this question is perhaps going to be like the compass that guides the ship in the high waters. And as you roll out into the high waters of 2024 and things become thick and there is a lot of things that you are going to have to navigate, your compass that tells you you are true north perhaps might be in the answer to this question. What is the essence of your life as a believer? This is the kind of question that men encounter during dating from their girlfriends. You know, just when you are thinking that you guys are getting good, cordial, ninini, she hits you with, by the way, what are we? Hey. And you wonder, sasa hiyo imetoka wapi? And these are all the kind of questions where you start now stammering, eating your, making jokes. No, no, no. At this point, and let me help the men here. At this point, she's asking, Abu, clarify where we are at. Give me clarity with where you are taking us. And, and suddenly you realize your uh, slow but sure kind of policy of life is not working. She's asking for more or she's out of here. Sometimes in marriage, there also comes a time when our wives ask us, um, what are we doing? You know, this time, it's not asking you to start saying we are eating ugali, we are, you know, all those, it's not asking a literal what are we doing? Or uh, we are looking at memes. No. It's asking, I am feeling a little disillusioned about where we are at in life. I feel like the big goal of what we are pursuing is becoming vague to me. I feel like the sense of purpose and vision, the sense of direction is becoming a bit skewed. Give me a greater goal. What is this mediocre life that we are living? How? What is a greater vision that you are laying for us as a family? So at this point, you either keep quiet, Kabisa, plead the fifth until you have an answer, or you say something very profound that she's going to respect you for. But otherwise, you might find yourself deeper in that hole. Uh, of being asked, what are, or, <coughs> why are we here? When the German Martin Luther was asked this question, the German reformer, this was his answer. The essence of the Christian life is to live life coram deo. Coram deo is a word in Latin. That, that means to live life or to live one's life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, for the glory of God. That this is the highest of Christian goals. That one should live their lives in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and for the glory of God. Imagine with me how differently your ear would look like. How 
differently you would reorient your goals for the year. If you lived life in a constant conscience, presence of God, that you are conscious of the presence of God constantly. Imagine with me what it would look like if you lived in the full submission under the authority of God. What would it be for you and how differently would you live your life or set your goals if you only pursued solely the glory of God this year? Today I want us to examine what it means for us to live constantly conscious of the presence of God. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 to 9. And I will read. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to, Mo, uh, to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea of the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I saw to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law, all, my, all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, this conversation starts between God and Joshua. But the context of which is, the servant of God, Moses, is dead. Moses had led Israel for 40 years. He is the man who redeemed Israel from the hand of Pharaoh, the Egyptian. He has led Egypt, uh, he has led Israel from Egypt all the way, 40 years through the desert, wandering round and round, and the Lord has purified them, cleansed them, become known to them. At this point, we are introduced to a Moses who is dead. And the Bible says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, the commentary of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10, and I think this must be Joshua who completed this book of Moses, the Bible says, since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, 
who the Lord knew face to face, who did all the miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to his officials and to, and to his officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that, Mo, uh, that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. It was a big deal that Moses is dead. He has been the father of the nation, quote-unquote, for 40 years. He has judged their affairs. He has baptized their children. In fact, the generation that is now is everyone who was 20 years and younger when they left Egypt. These, are, these were teenagers then. The oldest of them perhaps is 80, uh, is, uh, is 60. Joshua and Caleb are the only ones who belong to the generation beyond 60. But now Moses is dead. The leader of the people is dead. The prophet is dead. The man is dead. The one who spoke to God face to face and the people listened. But even before the mourning of this man is over, God says to Joshua, Arise. I want you to take the people funga viragozienu tunataka kuenda to the promised land. I can almost hear Joshua say, but God, can we just chill a little bit? But God, as in, can't you see there are things that are happening here that perhaps just require us to take a breather or a break? A new season is knocking at the door of Joshua, but perhaps he does not know whether he's ready for it. There's been a lot happening, he might say. I'm not even sure I am up to this, Lord. First, I've lost my mentor. I've lost my friend. I've lost my father. I feel a little disillusioned. I feel a little discouraged. Lord, Things have not ended as I hoped. Things have not ended well this past year. Could that be you? Maybe also saying with Joshua, I, I am not ready for another year, Lord. I, I would just like life to stop fast for me to breathe. Secondly, Joshua might say to the Lord, Lord, I have been here before. This crossing over to Jordan gives me, is baggage for me. The last time we were here, we were many of us, but you see, that whole generation has passed, and only I and Caleb are remaining. There's a lot of pain associated with crossing the Jordan. Lord, I remember the disobedience of these Israelites the unfaithfulness to your command, the rebellion they raised against Moses until you sent us wandering for 40 years in the desert. Lord, I don't know whether I'm ready to go back across the Jordan. Forgive me, Lord, but I'm not too eager to start the year yet. Though the Bible does not tell us these exact thoughts about Joshua, it's hard to ignore how the Bible repeatedly says to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. 
in this chapter alone, be strong and very courageous, repeated more than three times. Be strong. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and very courageous. Perhaps to point us to a discouragement that was already in the heart of Joshua at this point. In fact, verse 9 explicitly goes ahead and says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and very courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. I would imagine perhaps Joshua was discouraged because of the event, uh, events that had happened before this. I don't know whether you have had a year like Joshua or maybe feeling discouraged like he would be. Things didn't pan out as you had hoped. Maybe you lost a, a friend. Maybe you lost a loved one. I just wish that things would just stop fast. Like, God, just, just let things stop fast. Maybe you lost a job last year. Maybe a relationship that you had built for a long time came to an end. Maybe there are some opportunities you had really hoped for and they did not pan out. And you're just like, Lord, can we just stop first? And you don't know whether you can move forward into the new year with this pain and sorrow and bitterness and tears that you wish things were not the way they are. Maybe some of you are tired of caregiving. And it's been a year and another year, and you are just hoping that this year I wouldn't have to go to hospital again because of our loved one. And you feel like, God, would you just give us a rest? Maybe it is your grieving. Maybe it is debts that are just accruing. Maybe it is a marriage that is not working, and you are just wondering, God... Am I moving this way into another year, really? Maybe for you, you wish you didn't have to write resolutions. Aki, those things are just tiring for you. You feel like there are so many prayers that went unanswered from last year's resolutions. There are so many things I did not achieve and I failed about. I am so disappointed with myself. And when you go to write the resolutions and then you are like, God, I want a relationship again. Lord, I'm asking you to save my sister again. Lord, I'm asking you to help me lose weight again. Lord, I'm asking you to heal my friend again. Lord, that child we talked about, please, again, for another nth time. And it feels like for you, the new year, it's just a transfer of the old baggage carrying forward of hopes, dreams, and desires that were unfulfilled from last year. I mean, let me say this to you. God knows that. God knows that. God is not ignorant of those feelings that you carry. God sees the things that you are going through. He knows. He calls you to arise not without care or knowledge. He knows and he cares. So you can trust him. 
when he says you to move, when he asks you to move into another new year, even if you feel discouraged, trust that he knows exactly what you feel and come to him. Secondly, Joshua must have wondered to himself, am I really able to take up the role of Moses? As in Moses' shoes were really big shoes to fill. He has led Israel for 40 years. He has seen how a rebellious nation has kept Moses on his toes close to God. They arise against him. There has been politics that he has had to deal with. There's so much work that Moses was doing. As in leading almost 2 million people across the desert that long is not some easy job. And now God says, arise and possess the land that I promised to Israel and to your forefathers. This promise that had been for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the one that Moses was unable to do to get them across the Jordan, you are the one to do it. Ah, God, I'm not sure yet about this. Oh, yeah, and by the way, a great territory. Not just the Tikawan town across the River Jordan. It is the present day Israel, Jordan, Kuwait, Lebanon, half of Iraq, part of Saudi, and part of Syria. When God is calling Joshua here, that is the extent with which he's saying, I want you to go and possess that territory. Ah, God. Really, am I able? I'm just one guy. Am I really able to do this? Secondly, Joshua may have wondered to himself, as God promised him conquest, and he said, no one will ever be able to stand against you. Ah. But Lord, have you met these Israelites? These guys can give you one very sad day. In fact, not long after this, they will cross over on the other side and a guy will decide to hide some things uh, that are consecrated for God and 36,000 people die simply because a guy hid stuff. And you say, Lord, am I able to? When you say that no one will stand against me, really? How can I be sure about that? Oh, yes, and on the other side, of Canaan, lies tribes, the Cushites, the Canaanites, the all of them been preparing for 40 years for the incoming of Israel. You see, for the 40 years of wandering, later on when we see the Rehab, that already the message had gone out there, that these guys are coming to possess this land, and they have been given a 40 40-year window to prepare for them. I'm sure perhaps even the wall of Jericho when they were first going across the Jordan, no one perhaps said uh, that wall maybe, maybe never existed. But now they've had 40 years of reinforcing it. Joshua knew exactly what he was up to, what God was asking him to do. Across the river, there lay great, great work to be done. And he may have wondered to himself, will God's promise stand true? Will I deliver? Am I wise enough? Will I earn the respect or the acceptance of these guys 
And like Gideon, he may have desired a sign from God. Or like Moses, say, how will I know you will be with me? But God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be terrified. Mostly, many of us will share in this concern of Joshua, the uncertainty that comes with a veil that conceals the future from us. We look to the other side and we do not know what lies on the other side of this year. And that can set in not just discouragement from our past failures of the last year, but also anxiety because how do I know? How can I be sure? The fear of the future. It might be more comforting for us if we knew how the next 365 days are going to look like for us. And yes, though we have these great and precious promises from God, and though he tells us to commit our plans to him, and though he says, I hear your prayers and I will answer them, I know even your heart desires. Where? Lord, how can I be certain? Still remains a question. Lord, how can I be sure you will answer me? How can I be confident that you will establish my plans? You know, truth is, you can never know. God has been pleased to hide the future from us. And all those plans you have, it's hard for you to know whether they will be established. Yet, he says, I am the one who determines every result. And even though you may feel like a man who tosses the dice and not sure which side it will land, the Lord says, the lots are cast, but he's the one who orders the outcome. So are you crippled by uncertainty? Are you afraid to even plan for the future because you have no control of it? Do you fear failure? Do you fear disappointing yourself or being disappointed by God? Do you see the task ahead of you like Joshua and you think to yourself, oh God, this is too great for me. This is my encouragement to you. Trust the character of God. Before you quit on God and before you limit yourself, have in clear view what the character of God is. His faithfulness, his power, his heart, his truthfulness. And when he says to Joshua, the young successor of Moses, with very big shoes to fill, the one who perhaps was plagued with anxiety and discouragement at the same time, when he says to him, I, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I, the Lord, will go with you wherever you go. I hope that you will hear those words as yours truly, as God pronounces and proclaims to you the very same assurance. You see, God did not give Moses any other, for, uh, did not give Joshua any other fallback plan. He did not say to Joshua, okay, lay down a fleece like Gideon. I will put some dew and you will see it. The only assurance he says to Joshua, 
a Joshua who may have been disillusioned, disappointed, discouraged, and perhaps even anxious with the future, he only says to him, I will be with you. That's the one sure promise that God gives Joshua. Now, beloved, I am convinced that there is no greater gift you can receive from God. No greater gift that God can give us than to give us himself. To give us his abiding presence. To give us him to walk with us through the year 2024. But we know as believers that we have the Holy Spirit, right? Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus is here. We just celebrated Christmas. So we, are, we know truly that God is in our midst. So let me put it differently. Perhaps you and I, the greatest God, gift that God can give us this new year is the awareness, the consciousness of his abiding presence with us. It is the realization, the constant awakeness to the reality of a God who is with us always. This was the prayer of Elisha to his servant Gehazi. When this king had come against them and there is army soldiers outside their door, and he says to the Lord, Lord, open the eyes of this man. He's afraid, he's shaking like a leaf. Let him see the reality, the true reality of what is around us. And you know how that story ended? And when the servant sees the truth of the reality around him, the fear is quelled. The raging fear, storm inside, suddenly finds calm. May the Lord open our eyes, truly, to see the truth of the spiritual reality around us. His presence around us. It was David who expressed this confidence, the source of his confidence, and he said in Psalms chapter 16, verse 8, I have put the Lord ever before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not fear. So do you know the cure for David's fear? I have put the Lord ever before me. But not literally. Not like he had an idol named God that was just moving in front of him. No, it's the awakeness. The, the consciousness of the presence of God that was ever with him. Now, me and you sometimes may prefer not to live under this reality at all. It is easier to live life without the constant gaze of God. Like who wants God watching over him every step of the way? Sometimes you feel, yeah, let me come to church on Sunday and then say, you are here. Ah, and then you are like, yes, the Lord is here. Lord is here. Because yes, Sunday you are composed and well. But when you are doing your hustles in town and when you are in your workplace and things are thick, or in family where you are having conversations and arguments with one another, it's not very comforting to know that the Lord is constantly in your presence. Or rather you are in his presence. We would like to entertain the idea of having some private areas of our lives. 
Sometimes it may feel like we are a fish in a glass bowl. It is the psalmist in uh, Psalm 139 who said, Where shall I run from your presence, Lord? If I go to the depths of the seas, there you are. If I go into the deepest hole on the earth, there you are. And he says, even if I say darkness will conceal me, uh, even darkness is like light to you. It's, it's, it's a failed endeavor to try and run away from the presence of God. Job himself will express the same kind of sentiments and say, Lord, would you just turn your face away from me, kidogo, that I may have some rest? This is in the middle of his affliction. You know, there is discomfort in knowing that someone is gazing at you. It's like how you can just uh, go into a matatu and then some, some guy just decides to stare at you like this. You see, when it's like five seconds, you may wonder, are they trying to establish whether we know each other? But then when the gaze remains for more than ten seconds, you almost feel like you want to punch them on the face and tell them, stop looking at me, why are you looking at me? A friend of mine confessed how scary it was to wake up in the middle of the night and to find the husband at around four in the morning just gazing at them like this when they were sleeping. Well, anyway, the husband later said that uh, he was just admiring her beauty. <laughs> but really, well, who does that? Well, hey, that's, that's some scary thing. But you see, we might feel some sense of fear when we think about the gaze of God. Primarily because, as John says in chapter 3, verse 20, for the fear that our sinful deeds will be exposed. It's like the prodigal son who decides, I'm not going to squander my father's wealth in this country. No, no, no. The Bible says that he went to a distant, far away land where he went to squander the wealth of his father. You see, we don't want those people who know us constantly looking at us and into our affairs. We desire to be separate. That's why some of you guys do not want to live with your mother-in-law because you feel like they are ever looking at your affairs. You are being scrutinized. You fear the disapproval that might come with that. And let me tell you, in truth, if you do not know the Lord, oh, if you desire to do evil, if your pursuit is sin, this must be the most dreadful, the biggest nightmare that you will ever have. To be under the constant gaze of God. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13, he says, the Lord sees everything. Nothing is left covered. Everything is uncovered before him with whom we must give an account. Oh, yes, every deed, every word said will be brought to account for you. And there are those of us who, though we fear the Lord, we feel like when the Lord looks at us too keenly, he may just notice a few things that need correction here and there, you know. And because he says that he sends uh, affliction to uh, shepherds and to refiners, hey, we call like, hey, Lord, maybe, hey, please, don't look at me too much. 
Because you might just notice there are a few things that need to change and then you send me uh, affliction or you send me uh, calamity. I have uh, heard some of you pray that, Lord, I don't want to be your... Uh, I don't want to be your, your, your good soldier. I don't want to be your strong soldier, Bwana. Me just cons con consider me a baby girl. You know, strong soldiers get, get, get into battle and afflicted. Me, Mizitaki, I don't want to be the job. But let me say, if truly you have come to know the Lord, oh, this ought to be the greatest blessedness. This ought to be your greatest blessing. What beauty it is, should be for us to live under the constant gaze of God. Like a child who plays around his dad, knowing there is no fear, there is nothing that can come to me, there is no danger that can face me. My father is here. They are free to jump up and down because they know he will catch me. That ought to be our kind of feeling when we know that the Lord is gazing constantly upon us. After all, isn't this our destiny, friends? To live under the light of God? You know what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, this chapter 13? He says, then we shall know him in full. When we see, when we are before him face to face. Like the face of God and your face shall be constantly with one another. Always, always seeing the Lord. Moses in his prayer. And I pray that we can echo his prayer. In Exodus 33 says, Lord, do not send me away if you are not going to go with me. David himself will ask in Psalms 139, search me, Lord. See me. Discern me. Know me. Design my heart and know my anxious thoughts and lead me in the way everlasting. Wouldn't that be our prayer? That the Lord, let your gaze be upon me. Me, I don't want your gaze to go away from me. I want you to gaze on me. Even in times of sin, David will say in his plea, Psalm 51, please Lord, do not take your spirit from me. Do not take your presence from me. Do not remove your gaze from me, Lord. You see, God's gaze is not a judgmental gaze necessarily. For us believers, it's a benevolent gaze. It's a gaze that comforts us. It's a gaze that reassures us. It's a gaze that dispels our fear, removes our discouragement. It is the gaze of a father on his children. We must therefore not seek the cover of darkness, friends. If we are to be all that God wants us to be this year, if we are to fulfill our desires and achieve our goals, we must live and practice the conscience, the consciousness of the presence of God. We must desire, moment by moment, to live in His presence, in companionship with Him, enjoying Him, in prayer, in singing, in worship, in love, an awareness of our God daily. God never gave Joshua another comfort or another plan or promise other than his abiding presence. 
I believe this same promise remains for us today. As did Joshua on that day as he stood on the Jordan about to cross over. Never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. Wherever you are, whatever you do, whenever you are, I will go with you even to the very end of the age, as Christ said to his disciples. So I ask again, are you discouraged from last year? Are you fearful of the new year? Let this be your only comfort, that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I am with you. I will comfort you with my loving eye upon you. I will guide you. How comforting it is to have the gaze of the Lord on us. The hymn writer wrote and said, I must have the Savior with me, for I dare not walk alone. I must feel his presence near me and his arms around me thrown. I must have the Savior with me and his eye the way must guide till I reach the way of Jordan, till I gain the other side. He says, I must have the Savior. I must have the gaze of the Lord on me. Then and only then shall my soul fear, shan't my soul fear nor ill. As he leads me where he will, then I will go without a mama, and in his footsteps I will follow still. I pray that the Lord may truly cause his face to, to shine upon you this year, that he will constantly have his gaze on you this year, and that you will constantly be aware of his gaze on you this year, wherever you go. And may his presence, his presence truly bring you peace today and every other day that you are going to live in the year 2024. May the Lord bless you and keep you.